0: plus materials that explain how to try to submit your idea to companies through the InventHelp database.
1: I went out walking through streets paved with gold Lifted some stones, saw the skin and bones Of a city without a soul I stopped outside a church house where the citizens like to sit. They say they want the kingdom, but they don't want God in it. Yeah, I went with nothing, nothing but the thought of you.
2: From the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face-to-face, and I'm your host, Sean McCraney. If you have family or friends who can't watch Heart of the Matter on television, have them go to www.hotm.tv, and they can watch live streaming video from anywhere in the world. We invite them to do that. Have you ever read I Was a Born Again Mormon? It's a book. You can go to www.bornagainmormon.com and obtain a copy for yourself. We think it's a book that's good because Latter-day Saints can read it and it speaks reasonably to the LDS heart. When LDS President Gordon B. Hinckley was alive, he wrote something, sold a book called Stand for Something. I would like to borrow this title and suggest the same, that the LDS stand for something and abandon ship. Send a message right over the bow of the LDS Records Department that you refuse or you are no longer willing to be counted as someone who supports the ideologies of Joseph Smith and Brigham Young, the modern day Mormon books like the Pearl of Great Price, the Doctrine and Covenants, the Book of Mormon. Send a message that says Jesus and Jesus alone is the author and finisher of your faith that the Bible can be trusted. Go to utlm.org for more information on how to take your name off the records of the LDS church. Then write your letter, get it in the mail, and abandon ship. This coming July 11th, 7-11, a Saturday at 1 p.m. Get your calendars out. We're having our annual open water baptism. Where is it? It's an easy to get to location, but it's still secluded on the edge of a gorgeous river in Cache Valley. Just as you're heading into Logan on the main highway, we're gonna give you more directions later. Just look for the balloons at the side of the road when you pass Wellsville and you're gonna find, uh, that's the location that we have, the open water baptism. Anyone, everyone is invited, as long as you're peaceful and you're not packing. And uh, we'll be having a get together afterward at a home in that area when you go to the baptism. and we. We do it. Uh, We'll give you directions to that location. Bring a change of clothes, a towel, and uh, use the time, if you wish, to publicly profess your devotion, love, and willingness to turn your life over to the Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, I can do the baptism. You can bring your pastor to do the baptism. Uh, You can have another believer baptize you. It's Saturday, 7-11, 1 p.m. Go to www.hotm.tv for more information. We have had a resounding response regarding last week's show, Program 22, on June 2nd, 2009, uh, titled Jesus the I Am. Uh, we believe that the content is a perfect match for, uh, to give to your LDS family and friends, and so we're going to make it available on DVD. We've had requests for that. We're going to do some mass duplication of last week's show. Details coming. Just keep that in mind and watch for announcement of how to get a hold of it. Please... Please forgive my lack of responding to your emails. I literally do try and read all of them. Uh, And so many of them are just amazing. They're heart-wrenching, they're encouraging, they're intelligent, but we just don't have the manpower yet to respond to all of them. I have 1,400 waiting to be responded to. And it doesn't mean we don't read them. It doesn't mean they're not important. It doesn't mean we don't copy them and have them in our books. We will ultimately get to them, but please, please, know they're read, know that they're appreciated, and that if you are asking for prayer, we put you on our prayer list. Over the course of our ministry, we've had to resist a pernicious and relentless temptation to pretend to be something that we're not and to compromise on the things that we believe. To pretend and to compromise. Early in our ministry, when times were really tough, I was approached by a member of the LDS Church who offered to buy our website and book for the sole purpose of shelving it away from the public eye. I was slightly tempted at the time to do it due to economic circumstances, but all glory and thanks be to God, we didn't. Every single day, every one of us in one form or another face similar choices of whether to pretend and whether to compromise in our beliefs. The question is, do we stand by who we are in him or do we sell ourselves ourselves in order to be accepted and acceptable to the world. In her epic novel, novel, The Fountainhead, Ayn Rand presents four literary characters as models for her philosophy of objectivism, which I do not, which I personally reject. But each one of these characters face similar life choices to stand by what they were made to be and made to do or to sell themselves off to the ideals, the dreams and the demands of other people. You all recall Frank Capra's cinematic classic, It's a Wonderful Life. In that movie, George Bailey finds himself standing before the slimy town business mogul, Mr. Potter, who is offering him a cushy job and a great pay if he would abandon his personal ideals and join Potter's corrupt corporate ranks. The offer is tempting to George as Potter offers a nice vacation package, a new home, and the praises and acceptance of men in high places. In a moment of personal weakness, George Bailey excitedly agrees to Mr. Potter's offer to pretend and to compromise his ideals. But as the two men shake hands on the deal, George is taken back by the cold evil grip of Mr. Potter and he pulls his hand away in disgust and he says, no no, 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 as if, no, I just made a mistake. I do not want to go down this road. There are relentless pressures upon every single Christian to shake hands with the potters of this world and to cash in on what the Lord has created them to be and called them to do. This is the realm that says truth is determined by consensus and that Jesus wears nice suits and ties and that somehow Christianity today is founded on proven business models, Jesus concerts, and PowerPoint presentations. There's a constant demand to look right and speak right and think right with right being forged on the anvil of common consent. Gone are the days of Ezekiel, who God told to lay on his left side for over a year while cooking his food with human or cow waste. Gone are the days of Isaiah, who at the command of the Lord walked barefoot and naked for three years. Where is the John the Baptist, who with dusty camel suits and grasshoppers in his teeth was called by God himself to prepare the way for the Lord. Where Jesus said, listen, For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, is not of the Father, but of this world. Many Christians today seem to suggest that we must conform to the world, appeal to its pride, and entice its eyes, for this is what God desires. He wants you to be appealing and homogenous with the world. Why? Why? Because in the body of Christ today, it seems like image is everything. Uh, I received an email recently from a good Christian brother who's in love trying to help me. In short, this is what he said. Hey, Sean, I love your ministry, what you are doing. I have to be honest, though, bro. The bizarre physical changes with your hair, etc., is getting a little creepy. I am not a legalistic Christian in the slightest, but I have to be honest with you, from an objective outside perspective... It denotes emotional instability. I am sorry, but this is just honest feedback. Um, This is how, all uppercase, this is how the public perceives you. I know that growing up in a legalistic, man-made Joseph Smith religion is not a lot of fun, and I know you want to distance yourself from that stuffy, straight-laced, boring image, but the extreme makeovers are cutting into your credibility. While I appreciate these communications of concern, I hope you understand that my appearance is aimed at revealing your heart, not mine. Uh, I make no claim in any way to have any credibility. My credibility is only through my faith in the Lord Jesus Christ as my sovereign king. I, as a man, should not be followed should not be looked to as some icon of goodness. I have nothing to offer. I have never suggested that I do. But if, have you ever read about the, for instance, the emotional stability of Abraham Lincoln or Vincent van Gogh, or even the great theologian, uh, Christian theologian Charles Spurgeon? Even if I had emotional instability, What does that matter to the message that I am sharing with you about Jesus Christ? The problem is in this culture, even in the Christian culture, we look to the messengers as being the thing we should put our hope and trust upon. Listen to the message, but put nothing on the messenger. How much deeper is our culture going to sink in this myopic sludge of image control and BS Christianity? When will the body of Christ reject the trappings of the world? A friend of mine likes to subtly say to me at times, you know, Sean, we know that the Lord looks on the heart, but you also have to remember he told us that men do look on our appearance. And all I can say is I couldn't agree more. When Albert Einstein used to get flack for how his hair looked, he would say it would be a sad situation if the wrapper were better than the meat wrapped inside of it. With that, let's have a prayer. Lord, we uh, come to you tonight and we pray for your blessings upon the ministry, upon the callers, the audience members, those at home. We pray that the message of Jesus will come through loud and clear through uh, the callers and that we will have dialogue that is beneficial to your purposes and causes and not ours. We love you, Lord. We pray your uh, blessings over the volunteers. In Jesus' name, amen. I wanted to wrap up the Mountain Meadows Massacre tonight and move on to a more uh, history of the church, but there's just so much information. I don't know that it's possible, maybe next week. Let me just continue on and kind of summarize what's been happening. The night of the Mormon Massacre, after everybody was laying dead on the field, Rachel Hamblin described how 17 children were brought into her home that night, and she wrote in her journals that they arrived, quote, Under the darkness of night, two of the children cruelly mangled and most of them with their parents' blood still wet upon their clothes. She added, but all of them were shrieking in terror and anguish. The children were soon dispersed throughout homes in southern Utah with the Mormons in charge being careful to keep them all far apart from each other, especially siblings and uh, so that they couldn't talk about the facts and the things that they had seen. Uh, The very survival of the children and the murder of the women at Mountain Meadows was proof to the outside world that this massacre was no Indian affair because the natives would almost always take at least some of the women captive, and they would always kill the children. So the fact that the children remained and that the women were all killed said white men were involved. Looking at the massacre, and by, uh, and by all accounts, Bagley writes, the leaders were very pleased with their work and considered it a victory for the Lord. Just two days after the massacre, the Sunday services in Cedar City had the tone of a victory celebration. As the sermon praised the work of, quote, cousin Lemuel. Now, I want to explain to you who Cousin Lemuel is. Joseph Smith created two fictional characters in the Book of Mormon called Laman and Lemuel who came from Jerusalem 600 years before Christ by boat, and they landed here in the Americas. Well, Laman and Lemuel were such bad guys, such bad brothers, that God put a curse of darkness, dark skin upon them, and they, their progeny has what? Has what has been come to be known as the uh, ancient inhabitants of the Americas, or the American Indians. And so this is where the reference of Cousin Lemuel comes into play with the LDS archives. The LDS peace people have al- also always said that the darker-skinned people in North and South America were Lamanites, in reference to this, La- this brother Laman, who also had the dark skin. So in another place in the state, another Mormon state legislator, uh, Jefferson Hunt, said from the pulpit, quote, the hand of the Lord was in it, referring to the massacre. Whether it was done by white or redskins, it was right. The prophecies concerning Missouri were being fulfilled and they would be accomplished. Now remember, this was the mindset of the Mormons then, that the blood needed to be shed for Joseph Smith that prophecies that Mormonism would take over the world were given, and that this was leading up to those prophecies being uh, uh, occurring. At this point in the story, a decision needed to be made as to who was going to go and return to Salt Lake City from Cedar City and share the news with Brigham Young about what happened. The participants, President stake president Haight and John D. Lee, were unaware that Young had learned of the massacre less than a week after it happened from what they called the Indian Telegraph, or the Indians who would pass word along and get it up and down the state. When one Indian leader named Arapine brought Young definitive word of the massacre, Brigham Young responded by encouraging the chief to help himself to the spoils of the Fancher party that was left behind. It, then young charged the federal government for the goods that were distributed to the Indians that were the fanchers to begin with. listen to what Bagley says quote he's LDS, he's a great historian quote in an audacious fraud. Brigham Young billed the government two thousand two hundred and twenty dollars for the charges that included items obviously looted from the fancher party. a bold if ill-considered expression of his contempt for the government. End quote. In other words, Young took a tally of the loot that the Fancher party had left behind and that the Indians took, and they billed the U.S. government for a reimbursement. Does this sound like a man who deserves to have a university named after him? Uh, in the least, he is the indirect author of the Mountain Meadows massacre, due to his rhetoric on blood atonement and avenging the blood of Joseph Smith. And he's the direct author of many deaths and bloodletting of who knows how many others. Now, let me pause here just for a second and suggest something to the audience. We know that the average Latter-day Saint today just attends church and tries to do what's right and tries to raise their family within what the Mormon Church gives them. We realize this is the position of many of you. The Bible clearly states that our war is not with you, people of flesh and blood. I want you to understand that. Paul said in Ephesians 6.12, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood. I am not in a battle with you individually. I'm in a battle with something much bigger, something larger that has loomed over this state for many, many years. We don't fight against the LDS. You're not our enemy. You never have been. What we do fight against is Mormon theology and doctrine. What are we fighting? Ephesians 6.12, Paul continues and says, But we war against principalities, against powers, against rulers of darkness of the world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. We are actively engaged against the rulers of darkness of this world who have and continue to author events like the Mormon Mountain Meadows Massacre, against dark spirits and angels, against evil and devilish doctrines, against demonic teachings that alter and change the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is based, founded, and carried through in grace. All right. Under the direction of President Haight, High Council John D. Lee was selected to travel to Salt Lake City to report to Brigham Young because, according to Haight, you are a member of Brigham's family and you can talk to him privately and confidentially. Lee set out for Salt Lake City on September 20th, about nine days after the massacre, taking the time to stop at local ward houses and share the victory over the uh, massacred Fancher party. By the time Lee arrived at Salt Lake, author Will Bagley notes that Brigham Young was, quote, well aware of the need to put as much distance as possible between himself and the atrocity, end quote. The political machinations and the manipulations were now in action. It was time to spin, to duck and cover, to play dumb, to deny everything, to do the old Washington two-step. In the end, it was time to lie. Brigham Young made a remarkably revealing statement six months prior about himself. Listen closely to what he said. This is a quote. I do not profess to be very good. I will try and take care of, number one, And if it is wicked for me to try and preserve myself, I shall persist in it, for I am intending to take care of myself. That's exactly what he did in response to Mountain Meadows. When Jesus suggested uh, 1,820 years earlier that for whosoever will lose his life shall save it, and whosoever shall save his life for my sake shall lose it, What did Brigham Young say? I'm out for number one. And even if it's wicked, I'll continue to uh, uh, protect myself. There are varying accounts as to what John D. Lee actually told Brigham Young when they met in Salt Lake City about the uh, massacre. But according to the record, it seems like John D. Lee told him everything. And the end result from the mouth of Brigham Young was to speak no more of this thing. And if it's brought up, put the blame on the Indians completely. This was the standard line for years to come. But there were still some loose ends out there. One was a guy named Dr. Garland Hurt. He was a US government Indian agent and the Mormons did not like him at all. It seems that the American grapevine, the Indian Telegraph, uh, was all abuzz with the news of the Mountain Meadows Massacre Uh, shortly after it occurred and they ran and told Dr. Hurt, not a Mormon, uh, who was well aware of all the sordid facts. The Indians loved and trusted Dr. Hurt and openly revealed everything they had seen and done themselves at Mountain Meadows. A decision was made by the LDS somewhere along the line that Dr. Hurt had to be managed as a threat. On Sunday, September 27th, six Ute Indians rushed into Hurt's office shouting, Friend, friend, the Mormons will kill you. In a distance, a hundred Mormon militia had blocked Spanish Fort Canyon and were advancing in his direction. As Hurt hastily grabbed some of his clothing, his interpreter burst into the room and shouted, Doctor, you're done in and handed him a note from Mormon Bishop John Butler, which stated that he would not be allowed to leave Utah territory. Hurt decided to flee the area or die trying. He escaped with one white friend and three Ute guides and was later joined by 17 more Ute Indians who at the risk of their own lives, escorted Dr. Hurt to safety in Northern Utah. After living on tallow and roots for uh, 27 days, These faithful Ute Indians delivered Dr. Hurt to U.S. soldiers. A journalist was with the soldiers when they arrived in the military camp, and he wrote, quote, The sufferings of his naked escorts on the journey were severe. It is an act of devotion which which has rarely been excelled in Indian history. So back in Salt Lake City, it was time for Young to talk at general conference. It's October now, the murders were in September, and he seemed to have been invigorated in his speech. I would suggest the added power in his words were fueled by the innocent bloodshed on the southern grounds of Utah. With fresh blood under his boots, Brigham Young said, Mormonism would be higher and greater in power and influence than it ever was before. That the saints would enjoy an influence that we have never enjoyed before. He ended with, God will fight our battles and he will do just as he pleases, end quote. Keeping the facts concealed about the Mormon mountains massacre would be far more difficult than young had believed. The press in California was relentless in their investigative reports and accusations against the Mormons, so much so that Brigham Young himself gave a very strongly veiled threat to the editor of the Los Angeles Star, saying, unless he ceases publishing such infernal lies about Utah and her people, his lies may, to his utter astonishment, become truths. Winter fell and snow fell upon the bones of those people and it scattered, scattered mercilessly across the mountain meadows. According to historian Norman Furness, the weather of Utah provided more protection for the saints than 10,000 rangers and the Mormons enjoyed a pleasant social time that winter. Young had been briefed on all the events of mountain meadows and it was now time to move on. Bagley writes that Salt Lake saw, quote, dizzying rounds of parties, concerts, and sleigh rides. At the, and the stake president Haight and Lee in, attended opening night at the theater on January 2nd, 1858, as special guests of Brigham Young. Around this time, Lee caught a glimpse of a woman named Emma Batchelor and he was already married, of course. Two days later, Young counseled Lee to bring Emma to him and he would seal her to Lee as another eternal wife while visiting in Salt Lake. On January 7th, 1858, in a private sealing room, Brigham did just that. Quote, to celebrate Notes Bagley, Lee provided a treat of cherry brandy, sugar and liquors while Miss Ezra Taft Benson made made the bride a cake and a good dinner. John D. Lee's guests not only included Brigham Young, but Stake President Haight, who drank and made merry and had a first-rate good time. A few days later, Brigham Young sealed another woman, Elizabeth Summers, to President Haight, so he could take her back to his wife waiting in Southern Utah, and then Lee and Haight brought their new brides into a, a, a wagon and drove them back home. Bagley notes that the timing of the two weddings inevitably led to charges that the new brides were the men's rewards for their work done at Mountain Meadows. I don't doubt this for a minute. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-973-TV20, 801-973-8820. Please be a first time caller. Please uh, have a question, turn your TV sets down once you have talked to the operator. And um, we love LDS callers. Please LDS call about anything. And I'll try to be nice, you try to be nice, and we'll see where it goes. In the meanwhile, we're going to run a spot, and it tells you about our progress with the Heart of the Matter Partners plan. Go ahead. Hi. Right, beginning in late April, we let you know that our ministry was in some financial difficulties, and we established the Heart of the Matter Partners. We want to thank you for you coming alongside of us. We are about a third of the way there with people coming in and giving their support through prayer, and uh, emails and, of course, financial contributions. However, uh, we are about one-third of the way there. That means two-thirds of the way remains. We want to invite you to come alongside and partner with us. It gives us long-term viability. It gives us easy sustainability to progress the show. We're not ending in uh, June, thank God. We are progressing forward in the ministry, but we need your help still. So why don't you go to www.hotm.tv if you're inclined by the Lord or call us at 1-888-868-4686 and partner up with us. Now, if you can't be a partner, that's fine. If you want to just offer prayer or whatever you can do, we appreciate it, we love you, and we thank you. Welcome back, and we do thank all of you in whatever way that you are helping uh, Heart of the Matter stay on the air and the ministry to move forward. We thank you from the bottom of our hearts, appreciate all you do. Uh, We have John from Orange County, a first-time caller waiting. Before John comes on, I wanted to read a quick email while the operators clear a few more calls. Uh, This is from John, another John, it says, My mother came to visit from Southern California and wanted to see the Mormon temple, so we went last Saturday. We ended up going on a 30-minute tour, and I decided I wasn't going to ask any questions or make any comments. Two young sisters led the tour, and this is what they said. Now, this is really interesting. They said, quote, Joseph Smith, at the age of 14, went into the woods to pray to Heavenly Father, and asked which church he should join, and he was told those churches are good. But they don't have the full gospel. Now, I want you to know that this is more This is more at its best. When I was a missionary, we were always, I mean, I memorized the thing. Joseph Smith was told by God that they were all an abomination. I mean, it's in their scriptures. They were abominable. That it was point blank understood. It's always been understood. But as a means to really placate the Christian community and be invited in, it sounds like, I would like someone to call me and tell me, is this official, but are they saying now that God told Joseph that those churches were good, but they didn't have the full gospel? I mean, it's unbelievable if that's what they're saying. Uh, Another sign that uh, they will twist whatever they need to to stay alive. Uh, Then he says, also someone not in the Torqueno came over and asked if the general public can go into the temple. (laughs) temple. Of course the answer is no, but the sister asked the group how someone can go into the temple. I responded saying you need a temple recommend. She said the way to get a temple recommend is going to your bishop and he will ask questions and you will have to tell him if you feel worthy to go into the temple. Quote, if you feel worthy, then they will let you get a temple recommend. Again, this is a soft sell of how it works. Unless things have changed, but I believe they ask you 10 to 12 pointed questions and there's no... I feel worthy, let me in. They ask you things that delve into your sex life, into your tithing, into what you wear, into all sorts of things to make sure that you're worthy. And they do it twice through two separate interviews. So this is like the Temple Square version of niceness to get people to investigate further, join, become priesthood holders, and later learn about the Mount Mormon... Mountain Meadows Massacre. All right, we've got full lines. Keep trying back, all first-time callers. I'm going to take this guy from Orange County. See, John, you're on the air.
0: Hey, i got uh, two really quick questions for you. Yes, John. One one is, uh, you said a couple times that you have to know that you're going to be saved to be saved or that you have to know that you're going to go to heaven. I'd like to know, is there some biblical reference to that? And also, uh, priesthood authority from God. Mormons claim that they have direct priesthood authority from God through yeah. Jesus Christ, or through John the Baptist. Yeah. And when you look at Baptists, Lutherans, Presbyterians, um, they all teach different theories. And it, you can't say you, you can get it from the Bible because they all go through the Bible. And they come up with different um, theories and different, uh, you know, they've fought against one another for hundreds of years.
2: Let me... Uh, so how? Let me address your first one, then I want to ask you some questions. Because I'm not sure I understand your theories and comments. But the first question is, uh, if you turn to 1 John, you'll see that he says you should know. And that you will know that uh, uh, you, are, you have eternal life. So there's a reference for you off the top of my head. Now, I've never said you have to know in order to be saved. We walk by faith. So I know there are people, or I'm familiar with people who have, who believe in Jesus in their heart. They've confessed Him with their mouth, and they walk by faith without a knowledge. So I've never ever, John. If I have, I, I apologize. I've made a mistake, but I don't think I've ever said you have to know in order to be saved. No, that would be that would be a miscommunication. Okay. All right. The second the second one on priesthood authority. Um, what do you mean that? the Baptists and the Methodists and all this, what are you talking about?
0: Well, there were wars between different denominations at times.
2: Yeah?
0: Uh, And they taught different things, but yet today, they all seem to be combining together uh, with similar, more similar beliefs.
2: Yeah. Um, But they've never been at war with the core issues. They may have been at war with whether you're baptized by sprinkling or whether you're baptized by immersion or if, if, uh, you know, different things that weren't pertinent to the core issues, but they've never been at war with who Jesus is, uh, with the Trinity, with resurrection, with salvation by grace alone. I don't believe any of those core issues have ever been an issue of war with any of the denominations that are considered Christian. But getting back to your point, you're talking about authority now. So are you saying that they believe they have authority and other churches think they have authority? Well, yeah, sure they do.
0: They've all thought... um that they had the authority from God. When I was young, I went to Baptist churches and they said they were the
2: only true church. Well, um, I, I, can, I, I can tell you you could probably find some Baptist churches and Methodist churches and born-again Christian churches that might make the same claim, but that's not biblical. And, and I mean, for what single singular churches will say or pastors will say from behind the public, the, uh, pulpit that doesn't make it biblical. The Bible teaches, in fact, just remember Mark 9, Jesus is walking along and the disciples say, look at! should we do something to this guy? He's casting out devils in your name. He said, if he's not against me, he's for me. Jesus is the only high priest. The the Levitical authority and the Aaronic and, and Melchizedek and all that we cover in shows in 2007 and 2006, it is biblically, it is unfounded what Joseph Smith claimed to restore. Hebrews tells us that Melchizedek is the high priest that's it. I mean, that Jesus is the high priest after the order of Melchizedek. I don't think there's a, there's a question among the denominations about authority. Now, they might say, you have to have our schooling in order to do our teaching and do our baptism. Uh, sure. And denominations do that. That's why I'm not sectarian. But I don't think you're going to find a conflict among all the denominations as to any of them saying, we are the only ones who have the authority to act in God's name.
0: Well, if you watch the, say TBN, Hal Lindsey claims to be a prophet, Benny Hinn cl- claims to be a healer. Um, do they have any priesthood authority from God, or are they just... Are they, I, I don't uh,
2: know. I don't know if Hal Lindsey and, and Benny Hinn have uh, authority from God, and if God has bestowed upon them the gift of, of prophecy or healing. Um, I, I'm skeptical of a lot of things in this world. I'm a skeptic by nature. But God bestows unusual things upon people, and I'm not going to say they are or they aren't. That's part of the uh, uniqueness of the body of Christ. It isn't uh, a system that is lockstep down. It has to be this way. It's open. It's dynamic. It appeals to all sorts of people who are constructed in all sorts of ways, and that's the beauty of it. Now, I'm not saying Mormonism, but the cults have always been appealing to people who want restrictive order because they will always say, Jehovah's Witnesses, etc., we have this, and it has to be done this way. And so what they do is they fill a gap for people who can't stand that diversity and that, that openness that the body of Christ allows.
0: Yes, but it, there seems to be so much diversity and so much confusion that you go to so many, you go to these different churches and... You can hear so many different theories that are so contrary. But not on the uh, core. And they all, all claim authority from the Bible, and they all claim...
2: Not on the, the core original. issues, though, John. I would The only place I would differ with you is on the core issues. And that's the core issues are what are pertinent to salvation. So, is
0: baptism a core issue? Because they disagree on that. No, um,
2: baptism is not a core issue. Hmm. No. I know it is probably with uh, Latter-day Saint, or it is with you know, someone who's really into that, but it's not a core issue. And we've done a show on baptism. There's seven different types of baptism mentioned in scripture, and they're all carried out in different ways, and they all have different meanings. The word is not bab- baptism isn't even a theological word. It's a, it's a manufacturing term. I mean, there's all kinds of things that go with baptism. Now, certainly, we're having an open water baptism coming up. We believe in, in baptisms, but they are not pertinent to salvation. Why do we say that? Thief on the cross. Well, if they're not pertinent, why do it? Uh, Well, why do it? I think it would be relative to circumcision. Uh, Because you were circumcised did not make you a Jew, but you would be circumcised in following God's command. And the same way with baptism. Because you're baptized doesn't make you a Christian, but God commands us to be baptized, and so we do. But there are circumstances where people are not. So therefore, there was no baptismal font next to the cross for the thief to crawl down on. Jesus said, today you'll be with me in paradise. So it, that is what the, the gospel is. Absent in the body, present with the Lord. Baptized or not. What, see, what it is, is it's all based on soteriology. Do you believe you're saved by your works or not? Now, if you believe you're saved by grace, then somebody driving their car who has lived a horrible life can have a moment and say, God, forgive me, I've been a sinner. Bam, killed. They go to heaven. But if you're soteriology, that means the way you are saved is based on works, then the thief on the cross is, is, is terrible to you. And so you have to come up with another system, especially if you bring baptism into that, to account for the thief on the cross. So you come up with a system to baptize him vicariously in temples.
0: So someone who lives their whole life uh, reasonably well, tries to help other people, kind, generous, uh, doesn't hurt anyone, compared to someone who's a thief and a murderer a rapist, before they get in that car accident, they say, Jesus, I accept you, forgive me, and boom, they're going to heaven like everyone else.
2: If that person who lived that horrible life truly believes in his heart and truly confesses with his mouth, and the person who lived the good life you just described refuses to do that, the guy who lived that horrible life is going straight to heaven, and the guy who lived the very good life but refused is going straight to hell. Hate to tell you that. Don't hate to tell you that. It's the truth. Uh, but it's just hard for people to understand when you have bought, or if you believe in a system of your own, of your own obedience and your own works and righteousness. Well,
0: why even, why even try? Why try to be good and to do the right things if it doesn't really matter?
2: John, your question is excellent because what it does is it reveals... What most Latter-day Saints perceive as, well, why not just live it up? Confess Jesus and live it up. The problem is, is when you really truly confess him and he moves into your heart, you don't want to live it up. You want to do what he wants you to do. So when someone asks me, well, why not just do what you want? I know from that statement alone, they have not experienced rebirth. And it, I, I'm, not, it's not, I'm not picking on you. How
0: do you even know what the truth is? How do you know what to do? because all of these different religions teach you something completely different. Okay, well, I understand cause Christianity versus Islam versus right. Buddhism, that type of thing. Right. So you're saying, do you believe that you have to be a Christian to go to heaven, number one? And so all those who are Islamic and Buddhist, and are they going to hell?
2: I believe that you have to receive the light and knowledge that God gives you based on all the seven elements we've talked about here. He writes his word upon your heart. He reveals himself in nature. The pygmy in Africa who hasn't heard Jesus, I believe that God takes all that into account by the grace of God. But Jesus is the only way, and I, emphatically the only way. So, uh, yes, you have to be a Christian if you want to put that title to it. Bible does. You have to be a Christian. You have to believe in Jesus. And if you haven't had that opportunity, his grace will cover that. But uh, remember, it's your belief and faith on him, not your life lived or the things you've done. And that's so hard for people to embrace. So what did Jesus mean when he said, follow me? Exactly that. Uh, When they said to him, Jesus, how do we do the works of God? He said, believe on him who he sent. It's your belief that you're justified. Paul talks about it in Hebrews, how Abraham was justified by his faith. It wasn't by his actions. It was by his faith, his belief that God had told him the truth. We are justified by our faith. Faith is, is our believing that he sent his son and he saved us. Then the works will follow. We've been on a long time, my friend. I got to let it go. But hey, great call. I really appreciate it. Thanks. Have a good day. Okay, bye-bye. He didn't sound happy. I, I thought he would be. I thought we had a good conversation. All right, we're going to Dr. True. On line four, Doctor True, you're on the air.
1: Hello, Sean. How are you? Good. How are you? How you doing? Thank, thanks so much for taking the call. I just want to tell you again how much I appreciate what you're doing
2: and the message of truth you're putting out. Is this true? <laughs> uh, the true ought? This is awesome. Nice to hear from you. Nice to hear from you. Hey, listen,
1: I just wanted to add briefly a couple of things. I don't know if you've read. Uh, Sally Denton's book called The American Massacre.
2: I've heard of it. haven't uh, read it.
1: I really recommend that to you. She does a masterful job in addition to, to Brother Bagley. Uh, what she goes into really is piecing together the personalities and, and, and traits of the people in that wagon train. I just want to emphasize this one thing. And above all else, I've got to tell you that this is the one thing investigating that, above all else, led me to resign my membership wow. in the church back in 2002. Of course, they wouldn't let me go quietly. They had to hold an excommunication court and excommunicate me after I'd already re- re- requested my membership to go out.
2: Isn't well, that's that a funny? Story.
1: Uh, what Ms. Denton talks about, and, and it's, and it's just very apropos in this discussion, Sean, is simply that this was the richest wagon train ever to cross the plains. She documents this very well. There was well over $150,000 in wealth yeah. in that wagon train. Now, back, you know, back then, that was an incredible amount of money. Yeah. And you can bet your bottom dollar that Brigham Young knew fully well the wealth of this wagon train from the minute it entered, it entered Utah Territory in Wyoming. Wow. He knew full well. Wow. Now, here's the, here's the point I want to bring out. Brigham Young didn't fire a shot, and he, and he may not have directly ordered the massacre. Right. Okay? But he undoubtedly took possession of that $150,000 in gold coin and in wealth of wagons, carriages, livestock, including thoroughbred horses of Kentucky race stock. And you can darn a little bet he put them to his own private use. In fact, he took the finest carriage and appropriated it for his use until the day he died now here's the point in legal talk a person that that takes property and and profits of a a mass murder in that in that way is called an accessory after the fact Hmm. and in the law he's just as guilty as if he fired the gun himself and since there's no statute of limitations on massacres and mass murder The continuing cover-up and inability to account for all that money makes the current profit and the current brethren accessories after the fact, and I hereby charge them with that. They are guilty of murder accessories after the fact. I wrote them letters back in 2001 asking them, begging them to come clean to give an accounting to the descendants of the ventures and the other massacred families.
2: And true, we're going to cover and that in the next uh, weeks about their accounting.
1: Really? Well, they, they need to really put up some kind of money, uh, and a letter of apology and a trust fund, let's say 3 to 4% per in, interest per annum, uh, into a, a trust fund to pay for the education or medical help or something. It's
2: a great idea, my investors. brother. I really appreciate Thanks, your call. Um, Thanks for your insights. Thanks, John. Okay, Doctor. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. We're going to Jackie in Salt Lake City. Jackie, a first time caller. Jackie, you are on Heart of the Matter. Hi. Hi, Jackie. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you?
3: Good. I've caught your show several times, and I'm kind of a um, little upset at the, the way that you portray um, your priesthood. My what? You, your priesthood, your ministry. Oh. Um, you said early on in the show that you you were talking about the guy in California that took his mom to the temple, and yeah. how when you go through the temple you have to go through two um, interviews and right. they ask you about your sex life and the clothes you wear and I can't remember the other things that you said. Yeah, that's not true.
2: Okay, let me stop right there. You just said that's not true. What you okay, said wait, no, is wait, not true. No, wait, wait, wait. When I, went through the, when I went through my Temple Recommend interview, the bishop asked me if I performed certain sexual acts with my wife. Okay, Secondly, maybe. wait, they asked okay. if I wear my garment day and night. That's sex, and that's clothing we wear. So okay. before you say not true, think about what you're saying.
3: Not true now. Maybe back then, maybe it was just your bishop. I don't believe that it is um, in the book, because I have been through the temple myself. And I have been through several interviews, and I have never, ever once, and I have had new bishops bring the book out and right. read well, the, the questions out of the book.
2: But you know, Jackie, if you've been a member for very long, you know that the questions have changed and changed and changed, and they have
3: Okay, ad- that's what I'm saying. You are leaving the people that are listening to your program astray, because it's not the okay, way— Okay, let me make a clarification out. then.
2: I haven't been interviewed for a long time, so let me make a clarification. They used to ask that when I was a member. Okay. Now what do they better. ask you, Jackie? Since Pardon me? You, what do they ask you?
3: I'm not going to say.
2: That's well, wh- not for me wh- to
3: say. If you, Wait, why if you or not? Anyone else, if you or anyone else wants to know, then go through the process. But the other thing
2: Oh, that so I they could, to say, you, Right now they could say, do you, do you pinch goats? And, and we wouldn't know because you won't tell us. You know, I'm telling you what I know. And now you're, you're, I'm asking you to reveal. Those aren't secret. That's Those are not, not secret questions.
3: I know that. It, none of nothing, as far as the LDS Church is secret. Oh, it's sacred.
2: Jackie, come on, man, come on! Don't say that. You're making yourself look bad.
3: No, I'm not. Nothing
2: the other thing secret. That I
3: wanted to bring up was that early on in the show you said that you weren't against LDS people. I'm not.
2: I okay. live with them.
3: Then why is it that every time I have turned your program on and listened to you, you have espoused something against? A, a person of that faith
2: because why i'm against is it the that faith you can
3: attack let me finish please why is it that you can attack a prophet um whether he be a prophet or not whether you know maybe he was just an apostle or just a lay person in the church you attacked gordon b hinckley
2: he deserved after attack his
3: death, after he deserved
2: his death. attack
3: no why didn't you do it while he was still living i did you did. Yeah. Did you call him up and ask for an interview? On on the air all the time. Really? Yeah. Really. Did you really? go to the church office building and say I'd like to talk to him? Because he's had the opportunity to talk to many people.
2: You are, Jackie. I gotta tell you, a lot of LDS callers who call, you know, they they will kind of shoot straight with stuff. Mm-hmm. You're a PR woman, Gordon no, B. I'm Hink. Not Gordon B. Hinkley, you think you actually think. You're asking me a question. Did I call Gordon B. Hinckley and ask him to come on my show? Do you really think that Gordon B. Hinckley, are you so naive that you think that guy is going to answer the phone and come on down and sit with me? Why not when he's talked to plenty other people that are of other faiths? Uh, you, you, come on. you got to wake want, up you, a little you bit. You if, have you, to, if you're going to call, bring something that is real. You just have real. to kick
3: on somebody just because you are stunned from the church for some reason. That you're so now you're so you're now her- Jackie oh. you're having
2: to formulate some reason why I do this show. It can't no. be that Mormonism's wrong. It's because I'm wrong.
3: Then why don't you rather than attack the people, why don't you attack the religion? I do. You don't because all you're talking about today is the massacre and how Brigham Young called it on and killed all those people. That is the church. That's not the church. You know what? Brigham you Young's today, not the church? You today could walk out of that office where you're at right now, oh being the Christian man that you espouse to be, mm-hmm. and walk across the, do, the street and do something against your own faith.
2: Yes, people I could. People do it
3: every day. But, but I don't call, call myself a, a prophet. Wrong. That doesn't make the religion wrong. I don't that call that myself a, a prophet. That makes the person in the religion wrong. Jackie, Don't hate Jackie, the religion, hate the people. Jackie,
2: again, you, you're all, Wait, now let me talk. Okay. Okay, Jackie, I go after Brigham Young, who established a teaching, based that thus saith the Lord teaching, that you shed the blood in memorial of Joseph Smith's martyrdom. I have given quote after quote after quote of your leader, not some guy who decided your leader. Getting other leaders to take the lives of innocent men, women, and children, Jackie. This is at the founding root of your religion. You can walk out and look at your beautiful world now, but I want to tell you the same spirit exists because the doctrines haven't changed. I go after your leaders and I go after your doctrine. Now, I will, I will make fun of certain Mormon culturalisms, but let me tell you something. I was part of it 40 years. So I can make fun of it because I understand it and any any Latter day Saint who knows me personally, they hang out with me, they don't have a problem. You have a problem because I'm hitting on your leaders and you hate it. No, I don't hate it. I don't think it's right. Why? I
3: think I don't think you should attack people, especially someone that's deceased.
2: You keep saying people. Uh, they anybody. represented I don't God. Care if you
3: we're talking about the Buddhist monks. You know, it doesn't matter who it is. If someone can't come to you face-to-face, on the phone, whatever, and be able to rebut these things that you are saying, it's not right.
2: Let me repeat something, Jackie, for your benefit. Thomas Monson, I give you a complete, gracious invitation. We'll have roast beef sandwiches for you. We will be polite to you. You are welcome anytime you, you want. Do you think you're
3: your program?
2: Wait, wait a minute. Now you're saying, do you think he watches my program? You Why wanted me you to call, call Gordon B. Hinckley, church and office. now you're mocking me for asking Thomas Monson. Why don't you call up the church office building, like? Tell a, you what. A man. I'll call. I'll call him tomorrow, and next week I'll report on what they say, Jackie. Okay. Now that. Now let me do this. Let now me can offer. Can we
3: believe what you're saying? Wait.
2: Let me offer any invitation to any apostle, any general authority, or anyone who can. Officially represent Mormonism, you have always been, and those of you who watch the show know this, you've always been welcome on this set to talk and interview.
3: But you have always got a comeback for something. You can't, you can't go off the cuff. You have to read out of your book, you know, and, and try to make everybody look like a fool.
2: Well, you when know, you believe, believe things, things like this... The
3: temple, the temple thing... You know, you can't go and talk out of both sides of your mouth. What do you? What, s- what has changed? Even Jackie, the garments re- have changed over the years, dear. My you what? know, you can't go and say, well, they did this 15, 20, 30, 40, 50 years ago when it's not that way now. Why? Because you're misleading the people that are watching your program.
2: Well, I- I'll say when I went through, usually.
3: Okay, but how long ago was that? 40 years
2: ago? No, it- I'm not that old, dear. It was more like seven
3: seven years ago. Yeah. Uh, I,
2: I, and, my, and my family are all still active. I understand. I watched the journal. It's not like I'm completely devoid of understanding of this religion. Your doctrines have not changed, Jackie. Okay.
3: So That's, why no, no, wait. LDS, no, wait. Let's LDS just... religion. Why don't you pick on. Because I was
2: LDS. Don't jump on every single question possible. No, I'm I was not. LDS 40 years, Jackie. I understand Mormonism better probably than you do. And you so I can address from it. Perspective. I can dress it relative to biblical Christianity, something you, that you can't do either.
3: Are you right 100% of the time? No. Okay. Then what you're talking about, maybe part of the time, might not be totally
2: correct. You, of course. Could, you
3: and I could read Little That's Red Riding Hood. That's part of Riding the human
2: Hood. experience. You and it's, I could
3: read Little Red wait, Riding Hood. No, no, no. It's only, Jackie, don't give me
2: relativism. Story. It's only your leaders who say when they speak they're right all the time. Okay? No. It's only your leaders who say when they speak, they're right all the time. That's not this show.
3: I can, I can listen to, I, like I said okay. before, you and I could read Little Red Riding Hood and get a different perspective off of it.
2: Oh, yeah. You well, the Bible's not Little Red Riding Hood. The Book of Mormon is. You and I can
3: listen to conference and get something totally different from it.
2: <laughs> Jackie, we've lost it. It's over. Uh, I'll call them and I'll report next week what they say. All right? Have a good night. You too. Oh, bye. Bye-bye. bye We're going to Michaela in West Valley City on line two. Michaela, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hi. Um, yes, I had a question. I was uh, baptized in the Mormon religion at 11 years old.
2: Uh-huh.
3: But now I don't really want to be involved in it. Uh-huh. And my mom isn't at all involved in it. And I was wondering how I could get out of the religion.
2: Will your mom and dad support your decision to get out?
3: Yes, they do.
2: Then, uh, do you have the internet? Uh, no, we don't. Uh, hmm. You need to write a letter to your local bishop and have your mom and dad sign it and you sign it and say, take my name off the records. Okay, thank you. You're welcome. Bye. We're going to Chris and Ogden. Going to fit this one in. Chris, you're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Uh, yeah. Hey, Sean. How's it
2: going? Doing well, Chris. How are you?
4: Uh, Pretty good. Hey, I just uh, had a question for you. Oh, and by the way, uh, I feel sorry for Jackie. She doesn't know what she's talking about.
2: Oh, I feel sorry for Jackie's (laughs) husband. Yeah. Uh, Just kidding, Jackie. That was one of those jokes that we can say. Okay, go ahead.
4: Yeah, and the the Book of Mormon is Little Red Riding Hood. Uh, But I was just curious if if you uh, were familiar with the Illuminati.
2: Only insofar as I've seen some movies. And and a, um, and a few people have introduced some of concepts to me. Why?
4: Well, because, you know, there's the uh, Masonic uh, link, you know. That's, you can't, you know, really doubt that if you've, you know, been a Mormon or, uh, you know, know their teachings. There's Masonic rituals, you know, as you go to the temple. Yeah. Um, well, Freemasonry leads to Illuminati, and I was just uh, curious what your view was on that.
2: You and, know what? I'm not... I'm not qualified to answer, I, uh, I just know Freemasonry and I know Mormonism and I know the connections to that. But beyond that, I don't understand the Illuminati and I don't know if it parallels. Last year, I think, we had an uh, interesting photograph taken where <coughs> two LDS leaders were shaking hands with government officials and yeah, they yeah, were...
4: the uh, Dick Cheney and George Bush. We I, have I, that I, one? Yeah, I saw
2: that. <laughs> and, yeah, and then we had one, I think, with Gordon B. Hinckley shaking somebody's hands, or Thomas Monson, and we also had another one of those secret little uh, Illuminati uh, uh, Masonic handshakes snuck in there. So maybe there are some uh, some dark forces and principalities in higher places that I don't know how they work. but uh, So maybe there is an aspect to that Illuminati, that advancement within Mormonism, but I don't know about it.
4: And uh, as far as your opinion on... Freemasonry. Do you, is Freemasonry is that evil?
2: I think that if uh, it's if it's not pointing and leading to Christ, yes, in, indirectly it's going to be evil. Uh, I don't know about you know people who participate in it knowing all its history and what they're doing. Right now, it seems like many people think it's just a fraternal organization to keep business and commerce going. But it seems like uh, when you belong to secret societies and you're doing handshakes with men and and making vows and things and. The strange things they do in their third degree, thirty-third degree Mason, and all that stuff. I think there's an evil aspect to it, yeah.
4: Yeah, the the handshake thing is what gets me, especially yeah. with uh, between Gordon B. Hinckley and I. I think it was Dick Cheney, and then it was George Bush, and then Thomas S. Monson, George W. Bush. Um, you know, when yeah. when you've got the uh, leaders of our country, and then you've got these prophets of, you know, the yeah, Mormon it's, Church.
2: Yeah, it's scary. But you yeah, know what? I'm scary. sorry to cut you off, but we're out of time. Oh, okay. All right, my brother. Thanks for the call. Yep. All right. Join us next week. Uh, Remember the annual uh, open water baptism, 7-11. And we'll talk to you again. See you on Heart of the Matter.
1: I'm going to break. I'm going to break my. I'm going to break my rusty cage and run.